Yo. Hey. What's happening? Not much, man. What's up? Nothing. Just hanging out. Whoa. Hey, Hi. Steve. What's up, my man? I'm first. All right. Well, we got, we got a shitload of stuff to talk about today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I figured, because I, I, obviously we got a lot of newsy stuff. I figured I'd start with the Chip Kelly thing in San Francisco. That's probably going to be the thing people are going to be talking about the most. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'd try to kind of, I got my stopwatch out here. I thought I'd try to kind of keep us maybe on a, on a pace for the, the subjects this time. So we also had time to get to the games. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right. All right, y'all ready? Yeah, let's do this. All right. Three, two, one. Dan Bibber, NFL editor for SB Nation. With me, as always, men, myth, legends, Danny <laughs> Kelly, Stephen White. How you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, we're two weeks into the new couch. Danny, how, how's it, how is it so far? <laughs> couch watch. Uh, uh, going great. I love my new couch. It's, well, there uh, you go. Well, to sit on. <laughs> All right. Good news. That's, uh, that is at least as exciting as the San Francisco 49ers getting a new coach in one Chipford R. Kelly. Chipford? Is that his real name? No, I just made it. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the R. Kelly part was by pure accident. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely an interesting move, um, especially considering their history with uh, Jim Harbaugh and kind of how that went down. Yeah. They're, they're going for it. The, the strong-willed versus the stronger-willed. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, what were your guys' initial reactions? I wanted to get your guys' just initial reactions to this news because it was kind of, I mean, like we the reports were out there and – you had the Mike Shanahan, like Mike Shanahan was in consideration, supposedly, perhaps according to Mike Shanahan at any rate, for the last 24 hours. And then the Kelly thing broke. And I think even though Schefter had mentioned it, it was still kind of a surprise for folks. But uh, right. anyway, I wanted to get your guys' reaction because Chip Kelly is obviously somebody we've talked about quite a bit on this show. So, I think my first reaction, well, <clears throat> first off, I was taking polls recently on what would be the ideal situation for uh, the 49ers from a Seahawks fan perspective. And in other words, what would be the biggest dumpster fire? Um, I got a lot of people that said Chip Kelly. I don't know if I really feel that way. I think there's obviously the potential that the relationship with uh, Balky and York could go sour. And then that could, you know, in turn create kind of what happened in Philly, which was, you know, um, it devolved really, really quickly, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the hire actually. I think, um, you know, it'll be really, really, if anything, if, if nothing else, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because, <clears throat> excuse me, they have, you know, Colin Kaepernick still there and, and word on the street is that he, that Chip Kelly really wanted to get, uh, Colin Kaepernick and see what he can do with him. Um, you know, basically Niners are going to change completely from, what you know was normally a slow grinded out run you know offense to the the much faster paced version. then that was a generous description (laughs) so uh you know it's it's interesting it's uh you know it's another shot for chip kelly to resurrect his career i think um he probably ended up there because i don't know if anyone else is gonna take a take a risk on him at this point so um 
I don't know. Yeah, I liked it, kind of. And I want to get – we'll get to the – because the Copernic stuff is interesting to me, too, and I want to come back to that in a second. But first, Stephen, your thoughts on the Chip Kelly hire in San Francisco? Well, first of all, we have to figure out the deal with Kaepernick, of course. And, and that's really contingent on whether this is a good hire or not. Yeah. Do I think it's a good hire if Chip Kelly is coaching Blaine Gabbert? Hell no. Uh, and may not be even if he's coaching Kaepernick. I just do believe that Kaepernick in that system, for what I've seen, from what Chip did in in Philly, would would definitely it would definitely cater to what he does well. But you still have your problems on the offensive line. You still are going to need more playmakers on offense. So we'll see. But I, I think that's the big thing. And of course, who he brings on as his defense coordinator. What I would hope is that. He actually hired somebody this time who has NFL experience, who has been, you know, good. He could even keep Mangino, I mean, Mangini, and that would be a good hire to me. Yeah. But but what I don't want to see is him, you know, bring the guy from Philly with him or, you know, bringing somebody else to sound proven because I don't think he knows enough about NFL defense to even be able to tell those guys when they're doing something wrong. Yeah. So just find a guy that you don't need to even say a word to, just let him do his thing. And then you do your thing on offense, and then it has the potential of working fine. But is that in Chip Kelly's character? That's what we're about to find out. Yeah, and you know the 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 general manager versus the coach Chip versions of Chip Kelly. You know, I, I saw a lot of people talking about that after the news came out, and obviously that's not going to be a huge issue in San Francisco because they have a general manager in Trent Balky, and and he's going to maintain. A pretty powerful general manager role there. So, but you know the stuff with the the roster and the players that you heard about in Philly coming out with Chip Kelly is what is what I wonder about too. Besides the talent on the roster, besides the coaches he hires, is is you know a how much you know of that in Philadelphia was was because of the arrangement, and how much of it is just because of his his personality type, and how how well is that going to transfer to Philly? Because somebody made a good point that. You know, based on the roster moves and the things we heard about and saw during Kelly's tenure in Philadelphia, some of the players on the 49ers roster who are actually kind of very important, they mentioned Carlos Hyde is the one that really stuck out to me, aren't necessarily guys that Chip Kelly would have on his roster based right. on what he had done in Philadelphia. So, Yeah, that was another question I had. Um, you know, obviously, I, think, I, I, I still think Carlos Hyde has a – a lot of potential. I liked him a lot coming out. I think he looked good in limited time, you know, when he's been healthy. Uh, so that's, that's a huge question. Like, is he going to be a good fit for that? Um, you know, on, on my initial reaction is that he, he probably still would be a good fit, but um, it'll be interesting to see if they kind of decide to go a different direction with it. I still think he's, um, you know, fast enough and, and strong enough to run in that offense, but uh, we saw what happened with <clears throat> DeMarco Murray and, <laughs> That's kind of uh, a cautionary tale, I think, for that. Yeah, and obviously the uh, the offensive line situation in San Francisco is not great either, but it's mm-hmm. probably a little better than Philadelphia at least, and hopefully that's something that they can well, they're gonna get dress in the offseason. They're going to get their right tackle back probably. Yeah. yeah. Very Davis, <laughs> like he's going to come out of retirement. <laughs> the Tom Sula retirement clause. Right. <laughs> I'm going to be interested to see what they do with that, too. Like, are they just going to let bygones be bygones? Or are they going to be petty? Should I take money from them? You know, I really, 
And, and really, can you count on him? I mean, do you commit to him knowing that he, he just retired for a year? I, I, right. There's a lot of question marks there. I, I don't know that that's going to go over well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's for sure. That'll be an interesting thing to watch in the offseason. So now let's then let's hit the the Kaepernick question because that is that is a huge. I, I mean, I I always get tweets about how much I butcher everyone's name. On <laughs> I'm going to apologize in advance if I mispronounce Cap. So I'm just going to call him Cap. There you go. That works. I not even I can fuck that up. So. <laughs> Well, let's talk then about just to give some background. Uh, obviously, the situation with Cap and, and the 49ers was not one that you would describe as positive this season. There was some animosity there for obvious reasons. Um, and he got a big contract. He's two years into a you know a pretty healthy sized contract. Um, you know he looks like an easy roster cut, but because he's due, I think April first is the day he, his 11.9 million dollar guaranteed base salary is fully guaranteed um and he has a about a 15.4 or 15.8 rather million dollar cap hit this season and, it, and then it jumps up the season after that but even with that cap number on the record the 49ers have the fourth highest amount of cap space of any team in the NFL currently as projected with about 44 and a half million so it's not like the 49ers are necessarily hurting for cap space for cap <laughs> but um Good one. It is a question, you know, going forward, and, and you also have his health. But I think first and foremost is, is this the quarterback Chip Kelly would want to keep? I mean, what do you, Stephen? I'm gonna, I want to start with you. Cap and Kelly in Phila, in uh, Philadelphia in uh, in in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Look, if one thing, if it's one thing that Kaepernick can do, he can hit wide open people. His problems with you know going through his progressions. Uh, trying to throw timing routes and, and hitting guys in stride and stuff like that. In this offense, with the the kind of uh, potential Kaepernick has for running, you have to commit so many people to the line of scrimmage. There's going to be people running all over the field wide ass open. And really and truly, that happened in Philadelphia too. How many times did we see uh, Sanchez or one of these Wusters just miss somebody who was wide ass open? I, I know what happened against the Bucks mm-hmm. several times when I watched that game. So um, this is a perfect fit for both guys, I think, especially with the running element of it. We haven't really even been able to see that with the quarterbacks that Chip Kelly has had so far as the NFL coach. Now you get to see that other element of his offense that's been missing. There's there's a chance. And look, y'all know I'm not a Chip Kelly guy, but I'm <laughs> telling you, there's a chance for those two to be special together in San Francisco. Yeah. That's a, that's the reason why when he was announced as the coach, because like I said, a lot of Seattle fans are like, "Yeah, bring Chip in, that'll be a dumpster fire." But but I was kind of like, "Eh, <laughs> I don't know." This kind of sounds like a good situation for him. Um, and I, I said some of the same things about you know if if you give Colin Kaepernick a defined read, you know they use that those package plays so they can get him the best opportunity to get the ball out quickly, um, get him into a rhythm. The, the fast pace of the offense might be good for him. Because he's, you know, he, he if he can find a rhythm, he's a, he, he's shown in the past that he can uh, make some plays. Uh, you know, obviously the running element is big for him. He's one of the fastest quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, you know, I always just go back to what the, he was able to do with uh, Nick Foles. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, that was when he when Chip Kelly first came into the NFL. So maybe teams hadn't caught up with how he did things. But I don't know. Like, 
I, I it yeah I, the the odds that he can maybe resurrect Colin Kaepernick I, it's just going to be really interesting um, and yeah like you know if if he's not asking him to make these crazy touch throws or or you know go through his progressions kind of like do the drop back style like like um, the Forty ers were kind of trying to do with him the last couple of years I think you know it like there's a chance that it could really work well it's uh it's going to be interesting. That, that's that's the most fun part of this whole thing. Is <laughs> I think it's just going to be kind of a fun thing to watch. Um, and you know another point somebody made. I think it was Bill Barnwell made the, this point on Twitter, and it's absolutely true. It's this is the most talented quarterback he's worked. Chip Kelly's had to work with in the NFL. If you think about you know the quarterbacks he had in Philadelphia, and then you know Foles and Bradford and Vic and. Matt Barkley, I mean, no offense to Matt Barkley, but uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick <laughs> is definitely the most talented quarterback that he's had to work with. And Kaepernick's, he's got a great arm, so you've got, you know, that deep passing element mm-hmm. to, to his offense. And it's really not that complex of an offense. I know everybody kind of likes to make it out to be, but it's really just kind of more based on a, a fairly simple group of package plays and then giving the, the quarterback the options out there. Right. I don't know. So it, it's, it's it shouldn't different. be like you know you've got to take this kid and teach him, you know the Bill Walsh West Coast offense and you know in my, my off season. What are they going to do with his contract? You know, are they going to try and renegotiate it again? <laughs> I, you know, I guess I don't look at his contract. I mean, to me, the contract is less of an issue than than smoothing over the relationship with the Forty ers mm. because I mean, like I said, they have quite a bit of cap space, and that's without looking at you know I'm not sure who is due for free agency. I mean, they may have some big ticket names headed for free agency, which is where that cap space comes from. But, you know, it jumps up to $19 million the year after that. However, you know, we're seeing $10 million jumps in the cap every year, too. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, these contracts... Can, sort of, go ahead, They can get out of their contract pretty much every year, right? It's yeah. like a... That is go nice. contract, so at, at any point they could they could step away. To me, the biggest factor here is Chip Kelly. Yeah. Uh, after what he's been through in Philly, is he really willing to coach that team without Colin Kaepernick? Like I said, what, what is he with Blaine Gabbert? Not really worth the damn, as far as I'm concerned. What is Chip Kelly with Colin Kaepernick? Perhaps special. And yeah. so, if it's me, I feel like this. Cap comes back if Chip Kelly wants him. Why he wouldn't want him after what he went through and Hitler with those quarterbacks is beyond me. <laughs> but I think that's what it absolutely comes down to. If Chip Kelly wants him, he's going to be there. And that was probably, you have to think that was a discussion they had in hiring him, too. I mean, I can't imagine that. He would go into this job interview with the assumption that, oh, you guys can do whatever you want with this, you know, with, with, with Cap. I, I have to think that. That is obviously a subject that came up. You know what I mean? But it'll be interesting to see what happens. I just real quickly looking at the, the free agents on the roster. This is actually sort of a good situation because uh, Anquan Bolden is the highest uh, paid free agent that is is a free agent for the 49ers this year. And, you know, as great as Bolden has been, he's also 35 years old. It, it's mm. not, you know, he's probably not at a point where they can justify paying him $7 million on the cap. Phil Dawson's the next highest cap hit. So a kicker, but a very good kicker. But, you know, kickers are also, you know, more replaceable than, say, quarterbacks or something like that. So it's it'll be interesting to see. The only one on of the really big 
contracts that are coming off the books for the 49ers that, that I would think that would, they would want to address is Alex Boone, the offensive guard. Yeah. Because surely Chip Kelly, have anything from Philadelphia, has learned his lesson about gutting your offensive line. <laughs> <laughs> has he, though? Uh, you'd think, but who knows? Yeah. Um, okay, we've got another coaching hire that happened. Uh, well, we have two more coaching hires. Hugh Jackson in Cleveland. And they said a lot of nice things about stability and continuity and alignment and everybody working together and singing from the same songbook and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, I, 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 always, I know I feel like the Browns are an easy target, but it's sort of like you know, you've got you've to prove it before I could buy into that stuff in Cleveland. It's very interesting that he ended up there, of all places, because I thought that he would have kind of his pick of everywhere. But maybe it didn't actually go down like that. Um, I kind of thought he was the top candidate for a lot of people. So uh, people were like, why would he go to the Browns? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but I think, as it turned out, he wasn't the top candidate yeah. for most of these jobs that we thought he should be. Yeah. Because right. uh, okay. I certainly thought, Tennessee would take a hard look at him, and I don't think they contacted him. Um, some of these other jobs, too, they say the 49ers were interested, but they never actually made him an offer. Yeah. So, you know, I think with, with Hugh, you know, he's been a head coach with Oakland before. He's itching to get back and show what he can do. I think once he felt like they actually wanted him, that he wasn't going to be picky about where he went. He probably feels like he can succeed wherever he, he's gone wherever he would go because he's learned so much since that time in Oakland. But for me, I'm just so afraid that he's going to go there and it's going to go the way it's gone every other time. They're not going to support him. They're not going to give him the things that he needs, and they're not going to give him the time to actually turn everything around. And then that'll be the excuse for nobody else to ever give him another shot. Well, he had two chances and it didn't, it didn't go well. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's what, with the Browns and Haslam, you wonder, I mean, this is, Hugh Jackson's the fourth head coach that they've hired since Haslam bought the team in 2012. It's five head coaches, if you count Mike Holmgren, who was, you know, they kind of inherited, or Pat Shermer, rather, who they inherited. So, I mean, it's not exactly a paragon of stability in there. No. So, you know, I, I guess we'll see what happens, but, you know, that's another, that's a roster that needs a lot of work, too, obviously, and it's going to start with convincing Alex Mack not to opt out of his contract because, you know, obviously you can't lose. It's hard to replace a center of that caliber. Joe Thomas has been pissed off by all the crap that's gone on there, so they've got to kind of convince him not to push for a trade or, you know. And, and then you've got the Josh Gordon situation. You've got the quarterback situation, and it sounds like they're going to move on for Manziel, which is understandable, but, you know, you've also got to – you know, Josh McCown's not your guy either, so you've got to figure something out. So it's not an easy task for Hugh Jackson in Cleveland, and how much patience is Jimmy Haslam going to have with that is what I kind of wonder. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that, that encapsulates kind of why people were a little surprised about it, I think. Um, but again, like Stephen said, I think it was kind of like maybe he wasn't as hot of an item as maybe we all thought he was. Yeah. And so... You know, I, yeah, I agree though. It's kind of, it's, 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 he's in, going into a city. He's mostly known as like an offensive guy, right? Like he, he, yeah. um, he has put together a really awesome offense, but the problem is he doesn't have that much talent on offense right now. Um, you know, the offensive line has got some potential obviously with some, you know, really high quality, 
veteran guys, but then and, and you've got Duke Johnson and some of these younger you know players that have some potential, but you don't have like this really well established core group of offensive players plus you don't have a quarterback so uh i don't know it's it's a not not necessarily like a great situation to land in (laughs) for him so it'll be interesting i don't know uh hopefully he gets enough time to kind of establish himself because i really liked hugh jackson i I thought he was going to be one of the uh like big ticket guys this offseason yeah and and what he's you know what he's done what he's done with the offense in in um cincinnati has been impressive yeah exactly it sounds and, and you know it doesn't sound like he likes manziel either <laughs> that, that, that's the either that or just doesn't want to deal with the, the, right. the shit that comes with it which is understandable i mean you know I, i'm not whether you're whatever side of the coin you come down on i can understand that perspective and appreciate it. all right another coaching hire that's happened as the giants promoted um Ben McAdoo, their offensive coordinator, who's been there for two years, um, they promoted him to head coach to replace Tom Coughlin. Not the biggest surprise, even when they hired him. It wasn't too long after that that you started to hear some talk about that maybe this was the guy that was ultimately going to be the the secession plan for Tom Coughlin. So I'm not I'm not hugely surprised. He's done good work with Eli Manning. You've seen the the results there, and they just signed obviously just uh, signed Eli Manning to a pretty major contract extension before this season started. So it's, uh, you know, it's probably given the candidates that were, I mean, you know, they could have gone with Doug Marone, I guess, but given the candidates that were out there, this is probably the, the, the best one. In my opinion, it's the best one they could have made. Danny, Steven, your thoughts on the McAdoo hire in New York? Kind of points to trying not to have a ton of turnover, even though they're firing or whatever the, whatever the euphemism they use for Tom Coughlin leaving. Um, I guess they, they want to keep things status quo as much as possible other than giving, you know, giving a new guy a shot at the head coach position. So I think maybe that's it. You know, Eli Manning, I think probably, uh, he, you know, wanted this. I think I'm sure he kind of gave them his input on that. It sounds like uh, Odell Beckham likes this guy a lot too. So, uh, you know, keeping, keeping the players happy and whatever and, and try not to change a ton, but maybe, you know, get a little different vibe from the head coach position. Maybe they'll, they'll change some things up in the big picture philosophy or whatever, but I don't know. It's, it's uh, it doesn't seem like they're changing a whole lot. So there were some questions as to why they would fire Coughlin and then like not change anything else. Yeah. I guess that's kind of the impression I'm getting. And I don't know a ton about Ben McAdoo. Um, so I don't, I don't know exactly how to feel about it. Steven, your thoughts on the hire? I think it's, you know, the expected hire. I don't know how good it'll be, but it, it came down to this. It, it, you know, I talked about this at, uh, when, when we were talking about coaches on the hot seat mm-hmm. um, late late in the season, if you don't fire Tom Coughlin when he gives you the opportunity, he tends to come back <laughs> and have the kind of season where you can't fire him. So I think it just got to a point where they said, look, this is a perfect time. We had a down year. Yeah. If we wait till next year, we'd like to won't get this opportunity again. And he still might not you know, win a championship, but he'll do just enough where everybody's like, oh, you can't fire him. <laughs> so uh, they went ahead and pulled the trigger, and now the guy who is basically the head coach and waiting gets to be promoted. So we get to see if 
they had been grooming him well this whole time. I think uh, with New York, they just like continuity as much as anything else. And even though Coughlin himself brought a measure of uh, continuity, a lot of that were, were, were not great years. You know, yeah. you have a Super Bowl, and then you just totally missed the playoffs for a few years. So um, I think they want a, a higher level of consistency, and they think that, uh, you know, this guy can, can give them that. I was just thinking the other day, though, man, what if JPP doesn't have the incident over 4th of July and Victor Cruz, who we've all pretty much forgotten about, was actually healthy this year? How much different of a season could there have been for the Giants? And they fully expected both guys to play the whole year uh, uh, during the offseason. So uh, it just goes to show how how big of a turn things can take when you have these key injuries in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be an issue for the Giants, too. I mean, this isn't an, you know, yeah, we talked about Manning and Odell Beckham, and they've got, you know, it, you know it's always, you're always a step ahead if you have a quarterback. But, uh, and a number one wide receiver like that. But they got a lot of work to do on defense, and some of their better defensive players are going to be free agents this year too. So it's not, you know, the, the onus to me is really on Jerry Reese to kind of start, you know, hitting on some draft picks, which which hasn't really been, I think, is the thing that's not been said a lot in all the turnover with the Giants is they haven't hit on a lot of draft picks recently. Yeah, and are they going to change any sort of philosophy on that? Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. to me, I, th- I think they get some of the, the top guys right. It's, it's kind of the middle guys who usually are the backbone of your team yeah. where they miss so dramatically, which exactly. is weird. Yeah, yeah, and, and those are the guys, I mean, those are the important ones because those guys might not be the superstars, but those are the guys that, you know, that's your third defensive end. That's your, you know, your yeah. backup offensive tackle. That's the, you know, backup running back. Those are the guys that end up playing key roles, and, and, and as soon as you get an injury, because you're going to get an injury – your depth is exposed, and if you don't have the depth, you're doomed. And the Giants have had a ton of injuries, too, lately, or over the last several years. I think they were the most injured team last year. And I don't know where it ended up this year, but, yeah, that, that depth, the, the lack of depth is huge, and that's the NFL is a battle of attrition uh, every year. And so, you know, when you, when you rely on those guys and, and you know, uh, they, they're not that good, it's, that's, I mean, to me, like, I look at teams like, Arizona and Seattle and Carolina and whoever is like well a big part of the reason they're so good is because they've got a lot of guys either draft picks or key low-level free agent signings that are like contributing regularly um and so you know I just think the, the way the roster's gone lately uh hopefully they'll make a change in kind of how they go about that because it doesn't seem to be working that well yeah and then uh speaking of rosters we still have um, coaching vacancies in Philadelphia, Tennessee. Am I forget? Is there anywhere else that they haven't hired a head coach yet? Mm. Good question. <laughs> I don't can't remember. I don't think so. Tampa. Miami? Tampa. Who's in Miami? Oh, yeah. Tampa. Miami was new. I thought. Like, it, it, I, I thought. I thought you said Tampa. Well, yeah, Tampa. And but they haven't hired. I mean, it was. It sounded like the Dirk Cutter coordination was. All but assured, but I, they haven't done it yet. I guess. That's well, right. There, there's some unnamed big fish evidently that they're trying to ah. uh, go after, and Cotter is like the fallback plan, which would probably have been a bad idea. But the two jobs that 
Um, the two other jobs that actually interviewed Carter have, have also been filled. So he really doesn't have anywhere else to go anyway, as, yeah. as of right now. So, uh, I mean, it's weird because, like I said, the only reason why you fire Levy Smith, in my opinion, after you've already had an opportunity to, to fire him before he does the end of the year press conference, is if you're going to hire the offense coordinator. If you're going to go out and, you know, mess around trying to chase, uh, you know, the hot name or something like that, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. Uh, and those are all, and those are three teams with some issues to say the least right now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but I wouldn't be surprised if the dominoes kind of started to fall soon. Do you notice yeah. once the Hugh Jackson decision was made, then you start to see a lot of uh, the, you, you, the two other teams acted pretty quickly after that. So I, I don't wonder if that'll, the same thing will happen. The domino effect, so to speak. Um, let's see. I, that, we hit the coaching hires. What else have we got out there? Um, there happens to be a team moving cities. I, I hadn't heard. Do you know anything about <laughs> that? Man, I tell you what, I was there for that. And, and let me tell you, I've been to a few owners meetings and they're usually pretty dull affairs. I mean, it's like a, it's like a conference and you go and you sit in the media room and nothing happens, and then you, at the end of the day, Goodell comes out, does this press conference, and they announce whatever decision they've made. You know, the last couple times I've been, it's you know they hired, they didn't hire the announced the guy they approved. Pegula that bought the Bills, and they and they and back in 2012 they approved Haslam that bought the Browns. But this was a whole different atmosphere. There was tension. And you could see it and you could hear it. Usually you can't hear things. And they were on the fourth floor and we were on the third floor of this hotel in Houston. And you could hear shit happening. And that's unusual. And you could see them come out. And, you know, they, I mean, Roger Goodell always looks really well put together because he's a spokesperson and that's what spokespersons do. And, you know, they came out of that room before they took that final vote. And you could see him just up the stairs. And people looked fried. I mean, frazzled and fried, and you could tell it had not been an easy day. Not that I'm, believe me, this isn't my outpouring of sympathy for the 32 billionaires (laughs) in that room or anything like that, because I I, I walked away pretty upset with the whole thing. I mean, I really feel sort of betrayed, you know, bitter and caustic about the whole thing, because... And it's not like I mean the stadium plan in St. Louis was bad. I didn't support it. It was a, it was a terrible deal for taxpayers. And as a Missouri taxpayer, it was not a good deal for us. It wasn't a good deal for our state. It wasn't a good deal for the city. But you know to see just the naked sort of intention behind the NFL, and then to have to sit in that press conference and listen to, you know, at least Goodell was forthcoming, and it's not much was forthcoming and said this was really difficult. This is really hard. But then Stan Kroenke comes out and is just like, oh, you know, I this is a bittersweet day for me. It's like, no, this was the plan all along. And and you can say it, it's unfortunate that didn't work out. But, you know, it, it was pretty clear to anyone who was paying attention that, you know, there's only one reason this is happening, and that's money. And, mm-hmm. and to, to portray this, that you can't make money in St. Louis – when you can in the when the NFL's revenue structure is set up that you can make money in Jacksonville and you can make money in Buffalo and you can make money in Green Bay on a team. I mean you can make money if you put a fucking team on the moon. 
<laughs> it's just, you know, there's no there, – you can't tell me that you can't afford to keep a team in St. Louis because it's bullshit. Right. And you just saw this was the naked ambition and just like this was what, you know, fans – fuck fans. We, you know, we got, we've got corporate sponsors to chase. And I – I just was just a bad, bad feeling. And then I walked away from that meeting and I didn't want to think about football or the NFL for uh, 24 hours. And it just was, it, it, it hurt. It hurt. I mean, I don't, I've kind of said my piece. I don't, I don't want to drone on and on, but it's a, uh, it, it fucking sucks. <laughs> That's really all there is to say about it. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I kind of, you know, I can empathize with fans whose teams moved because you know the whole Sonics thing that went down here and it's kind of it feels Seahawks kind of Seahawks almost moved too yeah, Seahawks almost moved Paul Allen had to save the team and there we were talking about that actually this week there's like people who got you know like got in front of the moving truck and everything you know um but yeah it's uh it, I think the thing that Sonics fans felt was that like <clears throat> the owner Clay Bennett, you know, basically pulled the wool over everyone's eyes and like, you know, basically just from the whole, from the start, it was the plan, even though he would say like, Oh, we'll do everything we can to keep them in Seattle. Um, you know, it's kind of similar. It sounds similar anyway to like what Seattle, uh, Seattle Sonics fans went through. And so it's never fun. I mean, obviously people are still really upset about that. And, um, you know, on one hand, it's interesting for the NFL and, you know, L.A. fans or whatever, if they're excited about that, and that's good. But for the fans in St. Louis, it sucks. It just really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I'm, you know, that's great. I mean, I know L.A.'s got a lot of football fans, and that's great. I'm, you know, I'm legitimately, that's good for them. It's a great American city. It, it deserves to have a professional <clears throat> football team. There's no reason that, you know, the second biggest city in America shouldn't have a a professional football team, but it just, it's unfortunate that it has to happen this way. And then the worst part is that you have to come out and listen to all this, you know, bullshit about why it happened. And, and I think too, it was, it was frustrating too, because like, you know, I have a history. I started out in this business on a Rams blog, turf show times. I mean, back in 2006, I have never written about the NFL in a season where the Rams had a winning record. So and then we and we soldiered on and we built a good fan base and there's a good community there, and 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 there was a time when that or when that organization you know we had a good relationship with people within the organization the press office never really wanted anything to do with us but but you know I at the owners meeting and here we go you know I'm there and I'm trying to ask questions and <laughs> you know the PR guy stand and I know I've I've said some things that are probably not the kind of message they want to court or anything but man just to like to have to go up to ask a question to have the press guy twice literally walk in front of you and wall you off from asking (laughs) questions it's just like holy shit yeah but i don't know it is what it is i mean i was gonna ask the next question i had is uh do we know anything else about what's going on with the second team potentially going there or is that still a big question or is that off the table now or what's going on there? Uh, the sense I got is that Spanos initially said he was going to take some time to think about it. And then yesterday there were reports that, well, they were just going to go forward and, and start working out a finalizing the details to move in with the Rams. 
But okay. now there's news today that Goodell's going out to talk to the mayor of San Diego, and, and it sounds like San Diego may get another shot. But And then there's also news today that the Raiders are looking at land around San Antonio. And just like, stop this shit. Yeah. You know, don't hold your communities to ransom. Just, I mean, if a community wants to give over taxpayer money to build a stadium, that's their prerogative. But, you know, it needs to be done in a transparent, democratic way at the very least. And I'd I'd still be against it, but, you know, at least give people the chance to vote on it. Yeah. But, hey, (coughs) that's the way it is. (laughs) Uh, all right, that's, you know, I, if, if anyone has anything else to say about relocation, I will let you. I don't want to cut anybody off, but I probably have said more than enough. Nah, you got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say that uh, when I got here, they were actually talking about moving the Bucks, and that was, you know, we were already terrible. So uh, we were losing that year, too. That was not a good time <laughs> to be alive here. Yeah. But, um. They got the stadium out of it, and they have one of the most sweetheart deals in all of professional sports with that stadium. Yeah. It's just amazing. And even now, when there's upgrades, <laughs> we still have to pay for the upgrades. Not, not the the owners. Um, the owners put in some, but most of the taxpayers take care yeah. of like even the upgrades. So it's crazy, but that's the way of the world now. Yeah, yeah. It, it it is it's it's and it's you know like I say I think if people want to vote on it that's fine they give them a chance to do it but it's uh yeah it's unfortunate and I hope that the people of Oakland and I mean the people of San Diego are going to be in limbo for a little while until they can get this sorted out but I mean you know I I hope that they don't do this to the people in Oakland because Oakland has a good fan base and they don't you know they don't deserve this and there's more than enough money in the Bay Area. To support two NFL teams, they 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 shouldn't have any trouble turning up corporate sponsors here because there's a freaking billion dollar company under every rock. It seems like so. Um, go get it, go get it, NFL. <laughs> um, let's see, we've got football games this weekend happening. Oh yeah, remember that? Remember those? <laughs> That's still happening. <laughs> um, and some of them look like they're pretty good. Let me let's um. We've got four games to talk about. The two, the four teams, two teams in each conference that were on buys get to have a uh, get to play this week for the first time. Um, I, and I think the most interesting situation for me, I mean, I, I know everybody's probably got their own opinion about the game. But I think the most interesting situation for me is that Kansas City New England game. That is going to be a good one because the-, the Patriots don't look like they're all that healthy right now. Yeah, they've lost a lot of guys over the season. <clears throat> Obviously, a couple running backs, their left tackle, a couple guys on defense. You and know, Gronk and, didn't practice again today. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, and that's big if he if he can't be one hundred percent, or even you know, obviously even if he can't be one hundred percent. So, um, and Julian Edelman's probably going to be a little rusty. He hasn't played for however many weeks. He's been out for a long time. They just haven't looked like the uh, the team of the early part of the season that we thought maybe could go undefeated. Obviously, you know, um, they finished out the year two and four over the last six games, and the Kansas City Chiefs have won eleven in a row. And you know, they look like they're pretty much dominant dominant right now. So that's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, uh, Stephen, you you know you you wrote some about Dontari Poe on the site today. 
about his devastating effect that he had against the Texans. But obviously the, the Patriots are a little better team than the Texans. But how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, you know, the, the Patriots overall are a better team, but I'm not sure the offensive line is better than uh, the Texans' offensive line, save for their left tackle, who's Dwayne uh, Brown, who's actually out uh, for that playoff game. But um, Dunterry Poe is kind of like the X factor because he's so big and strong uh, and able to hold down the middle of the, the line when it comes to the running game. But he's also quick and, and, and athletic enough to actually be a dominant pass rusher as well. And so you can't just uh, leave the center alone with him while you try to block, say, Alvin Bailey, because he'll embarrass your center, as he did uh, a pretty good center for the Texans, Ben Jones, um, this past weekend. So uh, you add him to uh, guys like uh, uh, um, Tamba Ali and and Justin Houston on the outside, we already know that the Patriots' offensive line has been in flux all season, and they really haven't looked all that great of late. That, to me, might be the game within a game against the Patriots. You know, yes, some of these guys might be rusty. Gronkowski might not be 100%. But if Brady can't get those passes off, uh, it's going to be a long day. Yeah. And we've seen the Patriots Patriots lose the Super Bowl – Twice because of a, a, a superior pass rush. And not that this is the Super Bowl, but it's, it's still sort of, you know, there's a similar formula. play. I guess the thing to watch for Kansas City is whether or not Jeremy Macklin plays. There's, yeah. There was optimism at last, I mean, this morning when I last checked from Andy Reid that he would play, but, you know, optimism doesn't always mean you're going to be available to play. So, Well, the, the funny thing to me is out before – Maybe halfway this through the season, I would have thought that if Macklin played, they wouldn't have a ch- didn't play, they wouldn't have a chance. But um, they got the rookie who's playing pretty well. He caught a touchdown um, against the Texans. Um, they have uh, another wide receiver. I forget his name. That's pretty good as well. And they got Travis Kelsey, that, and that guy is really playing amazing football right now. I think he had over 100 yards receiving yeah. against the Texans also. So they still have some weapons and. and the, the guy that I'm worried about for them maybe being banged up is Spencer Ware, though, the running back. But I do think in, in the passing game, especially with, uh, like we talked about last week, with Alex Smith being a little bit more willing to take some shots down the field, I think they, still think they're in pretty good shape even if uh, Jerry Macklin can't play. Yeah. Well, I guess another question for this game, too, is it sounds like, I mean, I'm assuming he'll play since he was at practice today, but the Chandler Jones situation. Which, stay the fuck away from, here's a public service announcement to our (laughs) listeners. Don't smoke synthetic marijuana. (laughs) Nothing good will come out of it. (laughs) Well said. But, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I I mean, I'm assuming he was just had a, a reaction to it and will be okay by the time, you know, it, uh rolls around the the game rolls around but it's something to keep an eye on i think yeah i mean he's one of their best pass rushers so it's gonna be now here's how bad synthetic marijuana is it's so bad for you that the state of missouri which would uh, sooner cut off its nose than regulate anything (laughs) is suddenly 
Um, well, I had some uh, an autoplay thing pop up there. That's nice. Um, it's so it's so bad for you that the state of Missouri has cracked down on it. <laughs> That's saying a lot. Yeah. So you know, there you go, kids. Learn your I lesson. Guess it's not illegal under the CBA. No. Okay. That's what I. They don't test for it. Yeah. They don't test for it. So I'm mm. sure it will be soon. At least I hope. It, hope it will be. But yeah. I'm not, I'm not actually exactly sure they're going to be able to get away with putting it on there because it's not illegal. Most places, like it's not um, federally uh, illegal. I think there's some you know states and cities might have outlawed it, but but it's not a national thing. Yeah. So I'm not even sure how they could go about getting that on there. But I hope they can because I just hear story after story, not even on athletes. But just regular people tripping out on this stuff, man, and uh, uh, you know, attacking people or getting attacked—it's just—it's just not something you want to do. Like yeah, bath salts. Bath salts, yeah. That's <laughs> that's bad. That's that's uh, that's that's rough. The the that shit. But addiction is kind of a <laughs> nasty thing, and some people that get addicted will, you know, you'll they'll get into anything that they can get a buzz off of, but. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. That'll be interesting. We should have a podcast on April 20th to talk all about the NFL's drug policy and how the, the changing drug laws are going to affect that because I suspect that's probably going to start happening soon. Um, back to the games. Um, Steven, next, what, what's your, what game are you looking forward to the most? We talked about the Patriots-Chiefs game, obviously. Out of the th- other three games, which game are you most looking forward to this weekend? Oh, by far, uh, the Seahawks and, and the Panthers. Uh, that's going to be a slobber knocker, as we say. <laughs> uh, you know, there's two teams that are just built to run the football down your throat and make, you know, big plays in the passing game and play good defense and get out to the quarterback. And so you're going to see mirror images of each other. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, of course, the Seahawks have the edge with, with the rookie in, in the return game as far as uh, special teams. But just everywhere else, man, it's just such an evenly matched game. Two elusive quarterbacks uh, that, that can, can run the ball and throw it. There's just <clears throat> so much carryover. It, 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 I don't know how anybody can, like, feel confident picking either team. I'm picking Carolina <clears throat> almost all, solely because they're at home, and this is a West Coast to East Coast trip. And so you're always supposed to pick, yeah. you know, the East Coast. But other than that, man, if they met on a neutral field, I think if they played 10 times, one will win five and the other one will win five. That's just how closely matched they are. And we might be looking at a, a, a game that should be more like what we see in the Super Bowl than we ended up seeing in the actual Super Bowl. Yeah. I love the term slobber knocker. That's perfect. <laughs> That's what this is going to be for sure. I think uh... – yeah, I mean, I'm worried about the Seahawks protecting Russell Wilson, getting him in a rhythm and kind of uh, getting going, kind of like what we saw last week with Minnesota. Um, and then, I mean, I think with the way, that, you know, obviously people talking about how the Seahawks shut down Adrian Peterson last week, and that was definitely impressive. But the, the Panthers bring a different style because Cam Newton is part of that run game. So it's completely different from a discipline and, you know, strategy point of view because you have to, to consider him a runner and so they just present a very very good challenge for the Seahawks I think um I, I think it's going to be a really close game I actually kind of feel like it might be a high scoring game for some I reason I can see that because last time in Seattle I think it was 
Panthers. Um, and for whatever reason, I just kind of feel like it, it might be one of those games where where the offense kind of rules the day a little bit. It'll be it'll be really interesting. What what match? Tell me some match. I mean, obviously, you know, people are going to talk a lot about Russell Wilson and Cam Newton, and those, mm-hmm. <laughs> and deservedly so. I mean, there's probably not two more exciting players to watch play the game right now. But uh, let's talk. I want to get to some. I'll talk about some of the other players in that game because it seems like to me there's a few. There's some matchups here that are really interesting, and you know, more so because of the players and, and, and the way they play. You know. Um, the Seattle secondary scene, the Cam Chancellor in particular, seemed like they've really been on fire down the stretch. I mean, for all the attention we talked about, you know, with Russell Wilson and the offense down mm-hmm. the stretch for the Seahawks, that secondary seemed to be rounding into form in and of itself, and, and that's going to be a difficult situation, I think. So, how does this secondary match up against the Panthers and Cam Newton? I think that um, the one thing that you worry about and it's kind of been a theme for the whole season is the tight end greg olson um with the seahawks cover three like their natural weakness or area that they can exploit is up the seams and so that's kind of what's happened you know everyone in seattle's kind of freaked out about um how this year tight ends have kind of devastated the seahawks and, and pete carroll doesn't really look at it that way he's talked about it all year it's like He's like, people are going to catch touchdowns. It's like going to happen. You can't not give up touchdowns. It just so happens to be one of the Seahawks covered, like just the way they play defense just happens to be their weakness. So like, you rarely see receivers catch touchdowns on the Seahawks. In fact, they only gave up 14 touchdowns all year through the air. Um, so to me, the big thing is, is I think Greg Olson's probably going to be a factor. Um, you know, Ed Dixon even maybe too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's going to be one thing to watch. I think Seattle will probably do a pretty good job on the receivers, um, you know, on the outside. And, and, and I think so. So looking at this game, I think Earl Thomas and Cam Chance are going to be big because, you know, what, where they are in their drops, if they're on the same page. The first time around, uh, the big touchdown in the fourth quarter was like a screw-up in t- communication. They were basically running two different plays at the same time. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, there's a fourth quarter play where Greg Olson got up the seam and scored a touchdown to win the game or it, it didn't win the game, but it was the go ahead touchdown. Um, and basically the Seahawks have been playing like Sherman was in a cover two and then the other guys were in a cover three. It was just basically a total breakdown. Um, so, but, th- but since then they've cleaned that up a lot and, uh, not having Kerry Williams out there seemed to help a lot too. And so, um, I don't know. I, I think the Seahawks will do a good job on the receivers. I think the tight ends and running backs are going to be the big part of the passing game in this one. I think those two two positions are going to be kind of the the way that Carolina attacks the Seahawks secondary. Uh, Stephen, both of these teams have a pretty good front um, above better than pretty good front seven. Tell give us give us a preview of what to watch. You know. For each for each of those teams, when the, when when their defense is out on the field. Okay, but first I want to say this though. Uh, look for Ted Ginn Jr. Ted Ginn Jr. was banged up at the end of the year. When he's healthy, he can run by anybody, and that's something that can show up when you got a team that's committed so much to playing press coverage and either cover three or man to man behind it. Because even uh, you, you know uh, what's his name, the best scorer Sherman. If Sherman lines up and press on uh, Ted Ginn Jr. and he doesn't get him at the line, he's gone. 
Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and Cam has been great this year at getting that ball to him in stride. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Look for Ted Ginn Jr. to have a big game because he should be good and refreshed by now. He's had a couple of weeks off. As far as the defenses go, um, listen, Michael Bennett is playing out of his damn mind right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I did a write-up on him uh, and some other guys that were like unsung heroes this past weekend, whether, you know, maybe their stat sheet didn't look exactly as how they played or maybe some other things overshadowed their performance, overshadowed their performance. But Michael Bennett was just literally everywhere all game against the Vikings. It was just amazing. And, and he, they literally lined him up all over the place, too, from nose tackle all the way out to wide defensive ends. And he made plays everywhere that he lined up. And, and that's not to say other guys didn't make plays either because Cliff Averill had a sack and, and five tackles. And he, he had a, a, a real big tackle for a loss uh, during that game. Uh, other guys, Mebane, all of these guys kind of played well. But Michael Bennett is the straw that stirs the pot. And, like, even when he wasn't making plays, he was forcing it. Like the third and one where, he, where they stopped. Uh, uh, Adrian Peterson for, for negative two yards, that starts with Michael Bennett meet, meeting a double team and then picking off a, a, a tight end who was pulling from the backside and still get making contact with Adrian Peterson in the, in the, in the backfield. Now, after all of that, all that ping-ponging, he couldn't bring him down, but the rest of his teammates kind of finished him off. And so, um, look, the Carolina Panthers have a fantastic front seven too, but right now, they don't have anybody playing, even not Quan Short. is not playing at the level that Michael Bennett is playing at. He's just out of his mind. So if he stays healthy all game, he had a little scare last week about knees during the play. Mm-hmm. But if he's healthy, man, <laughs> whoo, Cam Newton is going to be running for his life on uh, this weekend. <laughs> to, back, to back that up, I was thinking the same thing, too, about Bennett. Uh, I, Pro Football Focus is a thing with us every week. Michael Bennett had his best graded game since 2011 against the Vikings. He had five defensive stops and six quarterback hurries. And that doesn't even count like uh, what like, like Stephen was saying, where he, he didn't even necessarily make the tackle or the stop, but he just basically blew the entire play up. Like he was everywhere the whole game. He's a monster, man. He's, yeah, he he's, seriously is. He's an incredible player. He's fun too. He's fun to watch. He has fun playing the game. That's what I enjoy about Bennett so much. Yeah. But, but, but now, uh, Mark, Dominic, Mark Dominic said he had, you know, uh, uh, wasn't on the details and, and wasn't a good practice player. And that's why they let him off. That's what he said last week. Really? Dude. Oh, yeah. I'm watching the film. And I'm like, I just can't get those words out of my head. Like, he was justifying why they. They let Michael Bennett go. Now, mind you, the the prevailing theory around here up until now was that they let him go because he had a problem with his shoulder that people didn't know about. Yeah. Uh, right, right. And to me, <laughs> he should have left it there. Like, he should have left people believing that. Because now you come out and say all these reasons why you let him go, and none of them look like the player we see there or the player that we saw here when he was with the Bucks. So why even do that shit? Why make yourself look that damn stupid and out of touch, I kind of think I have an idea I, because he came back at the end and said it was an organizational decision. And I think what he was really trying to say was, look, <laughs> I didn't believe this shit. This is the shit Greg Shiano believed about him. Yeah. Right? And that's why we had to let him go. But either way, man, 
this is one that I just wish he would have left well enough alone. Because reading that shit and watching this guy play <laughs> in the damn playoffs <laughs> just had me fucking enraged. <laughs> Opening old wounds. <laughs> enraged. <laughs> now, that's a beauty. I think that's part of the beauty of Pete Carroll, too, is he he's willing to accept and work with all kinds of different guys in terms of like it sounds like what what Dominic said and, and whatever is that like they didn't like how he practiced or like his personality or whatever, like the details and stuff. Pete Carroll is all about like trying to work with guys like that and, and allow them to be themselves, allow them to um, practice or train or do whatever like based on what they think they can do the best. Like they basically have like individual plans for literally every player. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting uh comparison of coaching styles if that really is kind of what went into it like man because he like i mean i I, i'm glad that steven is saying it because i could be saying it and people will think oh you're just a homer but like he is seriously playing ridiculously out of his mind like he is like disruption disruptive on almost every single play yeah yeah and he's just he's killer right now i mean i think what you know when without especially without lynch on the field it seems to me like you could look at Michael Bennett right now and say like that guy is sort to me is sort of the face of the Seahawks right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In previous years, it's been Sherman or Cam Chancellor or whoever. You, just if we're talking about the defense, but but now those guys have kind of taken a back seat. Michael Bennett is is the he's the team spokesman. <laughs> Plus, he's not afraid to say anything. You know. <laughs> Uh, well, the bicycle moment for me was really the, the yeah. ultimate Michael Bennett. That was brilliant. When he was yeah. riding the bicycle on the field after. Was that the NFC Championship? It was, yeah. The, it was a cop's bike. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he borrowed a cop's bike he, and like, rode it around the stadium like waving to his adoring fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. I really like that. Um, Whew. All right, that's uh, that's two games. What uh, what else we got on there? What are the other games here? Ah, I, I, I think the, pa- the the Packers Cardinals is an interesting. I mean, these are all good games. You can't really go wrong here. But let's talk Packers Cardinals for a few minutes here. Well, obviously, the big question is what's going on with the Packers offense. You know, which 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 Packers offense are we going to get? Are we going to get the one that finished out the year? really struggling with identity, really struggling to protect Aaron Rodgers, really struggling in pretty much every facet. Um, or are we going to get the second half offense kind of that, that, that emerged against Washington where Aaron Rodgers kind of got that glint back in his eye, you know, yeah. the whole Aaron Rodgers thing. Like he kind of just, it, it felt like a, a switch went off almost. I mean, the end, the end of the day, the stats weren't all that great, but it just felt different. It, it just felt like they finally found themselves. Um, of course, Washington's defense is not nearly as good as Arizona's, so um, that's you know something to watch. But that's going to be interesting. You know, are they um, are they going to give a bigger fight than what happened? Obviously, last last time when when the Packers basically got their asses kicked by Arizona. Stephen, my question for you in this game is. I, is, is Green Bay's defense, I mean, they had a good performance against Washington, but it was also against Washington. And, and not to just shit all over Washington because that's easy, an easy thing to do, but, I mean, Arizona's a much better team than Washington is. 
Um, I, I don't think anybody would dispute that, and, and <laughs> definitely they have a much better defense than Washington's defense. Yeah, and, and Washington's secondary was depleted. We talked about this before. When you have to sign Kerry Williams, listen, yeah. he's resting that strong. So <laughs> it was already not looking good for him. But let, let's not forget, they didn't start off that game like gangbusters, right? Uh, that, that game started off really slow for that offense, and you yeah. had the uh, the safety and. Really, and I talk about this in, in, in another part of the breakdown when, when I talk about um, uh, 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 the, the Julius Peppers. You know, Julius Peppers doesn't get a, a, a pressure on Kirk Cousins early in the game. They're, they're going to have an, one of the easiest touchdown throws to Dexter Jackson, I mean, um, Deshaun Jackson that you've ever seen. Yeah. Because they ran play action pass and both safeties bit on the, the play action fake and Deshaun Jackson ran right by him on the go route because he could but Kirk Cousins couldn't get the pass off. So uh had that touchdown actually happened, there's no there's no telling if the Packers would have even won that game. So I'm not really sold on this, you know, grand awakening by the offense, to be honest with you. And really and truly what I will say is the most encouraging thing was that the running game got going. Uh, as much as you want to look to Aaron Rodgers, I think there was some crazy stat. Like, they only threw the ball, like, six times in the second half. Yeah. Something crazy like that. But you finally got uh, a look at, at, at uh, what's the chubby running back? Eddie Lacy. Uh, Eddie Lacy, <laughs> what he looks like when he's not banged up. He still had the, 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 the rib injury heading into the game, but – now his ankle and stuff looks healed up, and now you can see that burst again. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they got the running game going, and that obviously is always going to help your passing game when you got to get when you force them to commit more people to the line of scrimmage. But again, we're talking about the Washington defense. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly. Either. So they're going to have a totally different challenge in front of them when they line up against the Cardinals. One underrated thing I will say is this though: playing away at Arizona. You get Aaron Rodgers and that offense on turf. Yeah. Okay. In perfect conditions. Aaron Rodgers in perfect conditions could be a dangerous combination for that offense. So, you know, that, that's one thing I will say is they should be better in Arizona than, than they would be in the cold. But I still just think, man, that, that Arizona defense is a totally different animal uh, than what they saw last week. And so I, I, I'm not sure. Unless the running game comes and, and, and has a big day again, that you're going to see this great awakening by the offense, and all of a sudden, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to get to look looking like the Aaron Rodgers we're used to seeing. Yeah, well, and especially with that, I mean, I know they lost Tyrone Matthew, and and so that's obviously a hit to the secondary in Arizona, but that secondary has been pretty damn good too. And mm-hmm. and one thing that seems like it, that's plagued the Packers all season, especially without, and, and and I think because they don't have Jordy Nelson, when we still not clear on whether Devontae Adams is going to play this week or not either. Um, is just how easy it's been for teams to get the Packers receivers off their routes. I mean, all it takes is a little man coverage, and, and that whole passing game is is got a big kink in it all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder with Arizona in that secondary if that's sort of play. I mean, you remember back, I mean, Arizona and Green Bay played before once already this season. Arizona whooped them, 38-8. Yeah. to eight. yeah. So yeah, Packers couldn't do anything on offense in that game. And I, you know, I hate to say this, but I, 
I don't trust the Packers. The Packers always seem to, McCarthy's guys always seem to blow it with the weirdest mistakes. And then sometimes it's just fluky stuff, but sometimes they just have a hell of a time responding to a team that is really willing to challenge them with the playbook. Hmm. And we've seen Bruce Arians do that with Arizona's offense for sure. And, you know, you just, you just, it seems like you never see the Packers respond well when, when things get, when the chips are down on the field to just go with the cliche there, but, (laughs) but we shall see. Yeah. The other game, uh, the other game on the agenda Sunday, this is the Sunday afternoon, the second game of the doubleheader on Sunday. An interesting one because there's a lot we don't know what's going on with this game, especially with the Steelers and the injuries to Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown um, against the Broncos. And the Broncos, you have the question, the Peyton Manning question at quarterback. I mean, obviously, if Peyton Manning plays like he did earlier this season, that's not a good sign for the Broncos. But the Broncos also have that defense, and if the Steelers don't have Antonio Brown, it's hard for me to see the Steelers win in that game if they don't have Antonio Brown. Steven, can the Steelers win without Antonio Brown? Well, I think they can. Uh, I, I really do. Uh, because they have this guy named Martavis Bryant, who's ridiculously tall and ridiculously, ridiculously fast, all at the same time. And yeah. it's just such a remarkable combination. It's almost the closest I've actually seen to Randy Moss, except for the hands. And now, you know, after his quarterback called him out in the media, it looks like his hands are even getting better. So uh, more balls to Martavius Bryant is not necessarily ever going to be a bad thing. While Antonio Brown is a fantastic receiver, you know, as many balls that went to him, those are no more balls that weren't going to Martavius Bryant. So they still have Marcus Whedon, who's a a very good number two. Uh, They have uh, Martavius Bryant. And... After we kind of, you know, well, I, I'll say me, after I kind of took a big, huge dump on Fitzgerald Toussaint last week, he actually looked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and he so did. did the backup running back. You know, they kind of made me eat some crow. Uh, and so maybe the offense isn't as bad off with, with uh, D'Angelo Williams out as I thought. And so if they can keep being upright, that's the big thing again. So much of playoff, playoff football is which quarterback gets to stay upright the most. So if they can block, that ferocious Denver uh, pass rush, they've got a chance. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I said the same thing about Toussaint. And let's be honest, he didn't really look very good before. <laughs> so all of a sudden he did look good. I don't know. Um, do we know for sure if Ben's playing or not? He's going to try. He yeah. was limited in practice today. So it's, you know, he's practicing, and I think all indications are that he's going to try to play. But, you know, you never know the extent of that was it of, yeah. of the injury and how that will affect him on the field so it's definitely something especially, to watch especially with ross Rosselsberger, who's known to uh play up injuries a little bit <laughs> <you will. laughs> they could just send joey porter out there <laughs> but uh i don't know it's an interesting matchup because and I agree with Stephen. they've got a lot of good receivers even after antonio brown i think the steelers are like the best freaking franchise at drafting receivers but um i don't know because but i think that the the broncos match up with them really well too though because they have three really good corners and a really really good pass rush and von miller right so you know those things combined i mean there's a reason i think that they finished in the nfl 
finished first in the NFL in, in passing yards and giving up passing yards because they've got such a great pass rush and a great secondary. So it's going to be a really good it's – it's like a strength-on-strength strength matchup, you know. I, when I think of the Steelers, I think of their high-flying passing game, and when I think of the Broncos, I think of their pass defense. So um, I don't know. I like that. I like that. I think if Peyton Manning doesn't turn the ball over – uh, which is a huge question mark, of course. Um, I think the Broncos have the advantage. But, um, like you said, there's just so many things we don't know. Like, we still don't really know what you're getting from Peyton Manning. Um, we don't know what we'll be able to get from Ben Roethlisberger. You know, when he came back in the other day, he was basically throwing sideways only um, for that final drive. And so you don't know if he can push the ball downfield with that injury. Uh, and then, obviously, Antonio Brown might not be in. So, there's just a lot of questions going into this one. It'd be tough to bet on this game. You know, I guess my question is with Peyton Manning. Then what? You know, what's going to happen if he ha- he gets in there and has to start? You know, it's a shootout and he has to pass the ball a lot. Yeah, I mean, if we look at the earlier part of the season, he's going to turn the ball over a lot. I mean, he's. I think he ended up like leading the NFL in interceptions <laughs> and he played half the year. I think he was. Uh, he came in well, second. He ended up second. Yeah, he barely, barely, barely right? second. Okay. But still, I mean, geez. it was close enough. Really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, to me, the big deal is if Peyton Manning can just not turn it over. Like he doesn't need to like throw for three hundred yards or whatever. But if he can, if he starts turning it over, I think that's really going to screw the the Broncos over. Which is why a lot of people are, are having this, you know, argument whether they should have uh, Osweiler in there or not. But. But yeah, I, I think uh, it's a really interesting matchup because it's strength on strength, and, and what we'll get from uh, Manning might actually end up being kind of the difference. Yeah, for sure, and it'll be interesting to see that play. There's a lot of a lot of question marks for that game. I think more so than really mm-hmm. any of the others. That's it's kind of the it's the exact opposite of like the Seahawks Panthers game where it just <laughs> looks like. Everyone is ready for a thorough to hand out a thorough ass kicking on both sides of right. the ball for each team. So it'll be a, it'll be it'll be a good Sunday, a good Saturday of football. We got a, we got some games, and then we'll be ready for the the the, the conference championships. And Woo-hoo. then we're two weeks away from the big Super Bowl. It's <laughs> crazy. If you had to pick right now out of the four teams in each conference left, what would be your top Super Bowl matchup? Starting, I'll start with you, Stephen. Say that again. All right, you have you had to pick out of the four, you know, the teams and the teams that are left. What do you think the most interesting Super Bowl matchup would be? Um, the most interesting. Let's see. Like, if you could pick the Super Bowl matchup that you'd want to see the most from the teams that are left. Hmm. That is a tough question. The, the, the AFC is really the tough one for me. I, I want to see the Panthers in the in the Super Bowl, quite honestly, just because they're an old school team with yeah. the, the kind of uh, player at quarterback that we have never seen before. And so I want to really see if he can win a Super Bowl with Ted Ginn Jr. He might go down as the greatest quarterback ever <laughs> if he pulls that off. And I'm, I'm only being half facetious there. But uh, the, the, the AFC – it's harder to pick because of the injuries. If, if Big Ben was healthy and Antonio Brown is healthy, then yeah. you know, I kind of want to see what they could do, but they're not. You got a, 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 a tremendous defense in Denver, but do I really want to see Peyton Manning get battered again in the Super Bowl? Because, again, 
his arm isn't really all that healthy either. No. Uh, I'd like to see the Chiefs in their defense, but Alex Smith, you know, is he going to keep pushing the ball down the field like he's been? Jeremy Macklin's hurt. And then, you know, the the Patriots, uh, they always got something going on. Guy smoking K2, now some, you know, (laughs) drunk might, me might be hurt. (laughs) It's just always something with them. But, but, I would say this, the most, um, hmm, how can I put this? The most social media meltdown <laughs> potential would come from a Patriots Panthers Super oh. Bowl where Cam Newton outplays Tom Brady to win the championship. Oh, yeah. Like that would be so glorious on Twitter. Because, look, I just said something complimentary of Cam, didn't even mention. Uh, Tom Brady at all or allude to him, and I got all these angry tweets from uh, Patriots fans. How dare you? You know, uh, <laughs> he's an MVP candidate, not a candidate. Now, I just said he was a, a candidate, and, and they just went off. And so that would be such uh, just a glorious day on social media in in general. It, we might not see another day like that again ever if it were to happen. Oh no! Can you imagine the takes if Cam Newton won a Super Bowl? How that'd be the worst summer ever because we just would be first take and Skip Bayless and and what's his face just going on and on and on and on and on and on. But yeah, Danny, your Super Bowl, man. Well, I mean, obviously, I uh, I would personally like to see a Seahawks Patriots rematch. <laughs> I wonder but, why. Um, but I uh, have uh, other reasons for that. I think the, I personally think if the Seahawks are going to not make it, and that that would mean I have no real rooting interest in it. Uh, I think it would be fun to see the Cardinals play the Patriots. Um, and if that wouldn't happen, I, I would probably be a close second would be Cardinals Steelers. And you know, Seattle fans are going to be mad at me for thinking that this, it'd be fun to see the Steelers in the Super Bowl, but. Um, I don't know. I just think in terms of if they could, like if the Steelers could get healthy, I just love the, uh, I love their receivers. I think they're a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of entertainment value there in, in terms of, uh, like I like Tomlin and, and just, I think the Steelers are a historical, uh, program. So I think, you know, going in, I think those would be a good matchups. I think you're looking at two high flying teams, two, two teams that love to push the ball downfield. Um, you know, I, I am a fan of the Cardinals because I just think that they play ballsy. I think that their coach, they, they kind of take the the personality, they take on the personality of Arians, and they're all kind of just like chip on their shoulder, like we don't give a shit what you think, like this is us. And um, I personally would like to see Larry Fitzgerald get back to the Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, I just I, I think that would be a fun matchup. What about you, Ryan? Uh, me? I, I don't have an opinion. I, I, oh, you're not allowed? I can't. I'm not allowed. No, I, you know, I, I definitely, I mean, I love the Panthers. I mean, it's hard not to root for Cam Newton. He's just, you know, he's playing out of his mind this year. It might be one of the better quarterback performances uh, seasons I can remember in in my time of, um, in my many, many years on earth. <laughs> um, and then from the AFC, I don't know. They, I'm kind of like you seem the AFC is tough to, tough to say, I guess. I guess I'd say the Chiefs because that's that's Missouri's team now. <laughs> so uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. But um, 
It should be good. We'll have good games, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about next week on the uh, the podcast, and maybe we'll even have some more hot takes on the coaching front. All right, guys. Uh, I, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. It's been a good show, and uh, let's let's watch some football and reconvene next week, shall we? Sounds good. Yes, we shall. All right. We'll see you guys later.